0: chapter forty five of the goddess of atvatabar by william richard bradshaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by nigel fisher the voyages of the mercury and the aurora Boralis. it was a most fortunate thing that any of the men could live until they reached civilization i said when captain adams had finished his reading of dunbar's story in the paper it was solely due to that fact we are here at present replied captain adams no sooner was the story published than the greatest possible excitement arose both in america and europe the united states and britain felt chagrined that a private citizen had been able to achieve what the greatest nations on earth with unlimited men and money were unable to accomplish to satisfy popular clamour the united states great britain russia france germany italy and spain each fitted out separate expeditions to follow in the wake of the polar king these were manned with former arctic navigators "'and were in each case commissioned and fitted out regardless of cost "'to explore the interior world "'and lay the foundation of future conquest and commerce, "'the Secretary of the United States Navy at Washington "'sent for Dunbar and Henderson "'and forthwith employed both as pilots "'for the Mercury Expedition under my command.' "'How did the English people receive the news?' "'I inquired of Sir John Forbes.' "'It is useless to say, Admiral,' he replied.' That the story of the Polar King was the sole topic of conversation for weeks throughout the United Kingdom. The Royal Geographic Society, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Travelers Club all sent special deputations to the government asking for the fitting out of a ship to undertake British research, which might possibly accompany the United States vessel, having the pilots Dunbar and Henderson on board, and thus partake of the advantage these guides would naturally give the United States vessel. "'The British government,' continues Sir John, with a smile in his eye, "'saw at once that British interests in the interior world "'must be protected at all hazards, "'and gave the Lords of the Admiralty full power to act. "'My fame as an Arctic navigator "'and the discoverer of the bones of the great Irish Arctic hero Montgomery "'and those of his men in a cabin on Prince Albert's island "'caused the Lords of the Admiralty to place at my command "'the frigate Aurora Borealis, manned by experienced Arctic sailors.' negotiations were opened with the united states government whereby the aurora Borealis, by proceeding up the northwest passage along the route followed by the montgomery expedition might meet the mercury who would enter the arctic sea by way of Bering strait it was arranged as captain adams is aware that each vessel should proceed direct to latitude seventy five north longitude one hundred and forty west and there await the other vessel you're right said captain adams for my instructions were of the same nature the mercury was fitted out in Brooklyn Naval Yard, and as soon as her complement of 250 officers, explorers, scientists, press correspondents and seamen was enrolled, and her stores fully shipped, I was instructed to proceed by way of the Nicaragua Canal to San Francisco for further orders and stores. Leaving San Francisco, I next touched Victoria, British Columbia, and finally at Sitka, Alaska for final orders. The entire winter had been consumed in getting ready, and by May the 1st, i cleared for bering strait steering straight for the rendezvous in the arctic sea where we had arranged to meet by june the first i was first on the spot and had the good fortune of only having to wait a week before we sighted the aurora Borealis. and then said sir john began the real work of the voyage all had been plain sailing so far but it was clearly impossible for any vessel to reach the polar gulf unless a lead was discovered in the ice barrier similar to that fortunately discovered by the polar king it was here that the services of dunbar as pilot came into requisition captain adams had got him to mark on the chart as near as possible the location of the chasm in the ice mountain discovered by the polar king that once rediscovered we could succeed in following the polar king but should we fail in our quest all further progress would be impossible i often said to captain adams that i considered lexington white as one of the most fortunate of men it was nothing short of miraculous that you should discover a newly rent passage through the barrier of ice that for ages has guarded the sublime secret of the pole only once in all the eternity of the past did the gate of that thrilling arctic zone open itself to humanity and by a miracle of fortune you were on the spot at the right moment ready to enter that door that fact alone emblazons you with glory but to my story how are we to discover the same or a similar lead to the north on the mere chance of discovering such a passage both vessels had encountered the dangers and terrors of the arctic desolations dunbar located the chasm in latitude seventy eight point six north longitude one hundred and twenty five west and thither we sailed as for the expeditions sent out by the other governments of europe jealous of american prowess we have not seen or heard of any of them Their vessels followed the direction of the gulf stream, and the instructions given their commanders were to first make Spitzbergen, and thence proceed due north, and, if possible, there find a passage to the pole. For ourselves, I will let Captain Adams tell how we got through the ice barrier. That, said Captain Adams, is a simple enough story, but the actual experiences were not so simple as the recital of them. We found that Dunbar's estimate of the location of the passage was within fifty miles of the exact spot. We found the passage after some days searching, about 50 miles beyond Dunbar's location on the chart. The veritable passage was there, but, as expected, instead of open water, there was a mass of solid ice of unknown thickness, but fortunately having a smooth surface. There was but one thing to do to overcome such an obstacle, and that was to haul the ships on runners on top of the ice right through the gap formed by nature and the icy barrier. Our labours in making such a passage were simply superhuman, both crews were employed for more than a week in sloping the ice-foot up which the vessels were to be dragged then an enormous cradle had to be constructed of massive beams of wood securely bolted together large and strong enough to carry either vessel there was fortunately lumber enough for this purpose as among the stores of both ships timbers for building arctic huts had been included the cradle was first secured to the hull of the mercury and the crews of both vessels took hold of the ropes made fast to her decks She was drawn close to the ice, but utterly refused to leave the water. We tried fixing anchors in the ice ahead, to which were attached a system of blocks and ropes. These supplemented the strength of the men by hoisting the engine, but even this was of no avail. We next rigged up a large drum vertically over the shaft of the propeller, and connected it therewith by means of right-angled cogwheels. To this was fastened an immense cable. The other end of which were attached to the ropes rove through the blocks held firmly a quarter of a mile ahead by thirty anchors embedded in the ice we started the engines and sure enough the bows of the vessel began to rise out of the water the mercury would have been lifted high and dry on the ice were it not that at that moment several of the smaller cables in the blocks snapped asunder and thus our third effort failed at this juncture sir john forbes proposed to plant a few more anchors in the ice and, through the additional blocks, work a cable leading from the bows of the Mercury to the stern of the Aurora Borealis. This being done, he would steam ahead, off the ice, and add the power of his ship to that of the Mercury's engines, and thus relieve the strain on the Mercury's cables. It was a capital idea, and we immediately put it into execution. The result was a perfect success. The combined energies of the English ship and her crew, together with those of our own vessel and men, drew the Mercury up the slide of ice, and placed her erect and dry upon the level surface of the lead it was now comparatively easy to work to draw the ship along the ice her own engines were equal to the task but it was impossible for the mercury to go ahead as without her assistance the aurora borealis would be unable to leave the water then again there was only the material for but one cradle for both ships the difficulty was solved by cutting away one-fourth of the cradle from beneath the bow and stern of the mercury and, joining these parts, we furnished the Aurora Borealis with a sledge as large as that of our own ship, and strong enough to keep her in an upright position while being dragged over the ice. After infinite trouble, and in obedience to the aggregated energies of the engines of both ships, and the hauling of the combined crews, the English ship was drawn up upon the ice beside the American vessel. This double feat of skill and determination was duly saluted by a roar of guns and the cheers of the sailors the ice proved so smooth and hard that the crews of each ship assisted by the engines were able to work their respective vessels in good order through the entire chasm a distance of seventy miles arriving at the open floe beyond the northern ice foot we bevelled off the ice as before and the ships were finally launched upon the polar sea i congratulated sir john forbes and captain adams on their successful manoeuvre which resulted in getting their ships across the ice it was a feat of engineering skill rarely possible of accomplishment "'and in their case nature had seconded their efforts "'by providing a smooth and solid floor to operate upon. "'Otherwise all human endeavour would have been fruitless. "'And now, gentlemen,' I said, "'what do you say surprised you most in your voyage hither from the ice barrier?' "'I think, Admiral,' said Captain Adams, "'that the grandest sight on earth is the full view of the polar gulf "'with its suspended abyss of waters surrounding this ship. "'The colossal influx and reflux of waters "'produces a feeling of terrible sublimity. "'It is an awful scene.' "'But that scene,' said Sir John Forbes, "'belongs to the outer world. "'This aspect of the interior world of Plutasia "'is ten thousand times more magnificent. "'What grander glory ever fell on human eyes "'than this colosseum of oceans, continents, kingdoms, islands, and seas "'spread upon the vast interior vaults surrounding us "'and all lit up by the internal sun? "'Human imagination never conceived anything equal to this. "'Here nature surpasses the wildest dreams of fancy.' We are astounded with the splendour of such a world. You are right, Sir John, said Captain Adams. This interior sphere surpasses anything hitherto discovered in heaven or on earth, and then, to think of its enormous riches, the royal fleet of Atvatbar, plated with solid gold, proves the extraordinary profusion of the precious metal. End chapter forty-five